y'all hi this is dr amy here for another conversation so let's have a conversation i have my guest dr christine thorpe she's from jersey is that correct you from jersey or just originally from new york but yes we live in new jersey <laughs> all right she is a wellness diversity coach um she has coach uh she's an entrepreneur she has her organization uh stronger tomorrow wellness consulting agency um she goes through to organizations to provide training diversity wellness training um to professional women in leadership roles but her main focus is wellness diversity and i would let her take over and introduce and say a little bit more about what she does and how she can um okay. inspire you inspire all the listeners that are just tuning in today awesome well thank you dr amy appreciate the opportunity to be on your podcast. Um, so as mentioned, I have a company, Stronger Tomorrow Wellness, and our focus is on the intersection of wellness and DEI. Through my work, I do coaching, consulting, training, and speaking to organizations and groups about the value of looking at our lives through multiple dimensions of wellness and the importance of support systems and community building in an effort for us to live, live our best lives across the multiple values that we carry with us on a day-to-day -day basis. So my clients range from professional women in leadership roles who are dealing with the balance between, and, and if there's such a thing, we don't, I use that word balance very carefully, but dealing with the walk of the day-to-day -day work that they're called to do in the leadership roles that they're expected to step into and thrive in fully. And some do so without necessary guidance, coaching, and mentorship. I like to step into those spaces to be able to support women in those areas because what folks often forget is that it goes beyond the day-to-day -day work, but also the interpersonal relations that need to happen within their leadership roles, as well as what they deal with on their own personal life basis and being able to navigate those spaces and come to the workplace as whole people. I do these same types of conversations with diverse families that are looking to build their family wellness strategic plan and understanding that collectively, it is important for us to be cohesive in moving forward to build generational legacy. On an organizational level, we use the same type of structure, but being able to, to infuse the DEI components into the wellness strategic planning because organizations are made up of multiple people with multiple needs. And how are we claiming to move the needle forward when we're not looking at our whole entity and being able to come up with policies, procedures, practices, and actionable items in order for us to elevate the culture of our workspaces? So in a sense, that is what I do. And I love it. Wow. So <laughs> <what>? <laughs> That's awesome. We hear a lot about DEI. Can you explain for the people that don't know what DEI is? It is the typical acronym. It can be JEDI, DEI, um, and it's broad, much broader than what people think. Diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, belonging, and accessibility. And often people shorten it by using the acronym DEI, DNI, or JEDI. And a lot of people think of DEI and I'll use it broadly right now, people think of it primarily in terms of race and ethnicity. And when I look at DEI work, it goes beyond race, ethnicity, it includes gender, it includes neurodiversities, it includes abilities, it includes age. 
Um, and I look at that also with families. A lot of people don't realize that there's DEI related matters within family. We're talking yes. about age and gender. We're talking about the makeup of our families and how we interact with each other. So when I use DEI, it's broad. It is inclusive of a number of nuances that often get lost in the conversation, but it doesn't mean that it's it's truncated to what we often see it as in the public space. Okay, because you know, you hear a lot with organ organizations now, they're strongly advocating for DEI among the organizations. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you see them advocating for it, but then you feel like, are they sincere about it? Are they really, are they doing it just because it's the, something that they're pushing for? You would hope that they're doing it sincerely and they're wanting to include people. They're wanting to see diverse people, like you say, ages and ethnicities, you know, all the way around, females. Right. What I believe we see are three categories. We'll see people who really want to do the work and we'll delve into it and peel back all the layers of the onion to be able to truly elevate the culture of their workplaces and truly stand on their word and their mission that they've set forth to the organization and to the public because they understand the value of diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, accessibility, justice to not only their workforce, but to their clients and their bottom line as an organization, as a company. You'll also find a group that will start the work, they're on the fence, they're not sure, um, and any little thing will sway them away from it. And they have yet to put both feet in because they're afraid of what they'll find. And they're afraid of the implications and they don't have the right infrastructure in place um, to support the necessary changes to go forward. Um, there are also some internal workings that need to be addressed within leadership and individuals that they've yet to grapple with that make this conversation you guys take care of that but i'm not really sure how i, I how i can play a role I, I give you the green light but then again let's tread carefully kind of like when people were rushing to hire de you know cdo's chief diversity officers but they didn't have the full support and we had this high turnover of ceo um and then there's the other camp of people who are on the periphery watching what's happening and seeing what's happening on a federal level within our nation and looking for opportunities to say oh we're not even going to touch it we're going to bail out and take two steps back so every organization is in a different place and the mm -hmm. question is who is going to be brave enough and ruthless enough to lean in and say we can't function on the periphery or on the outside any longer because our nation no longer can tolerate such uh, gray on the fence behavior in order for us to truly thrive as institutions, organizations, and as a people. So what was your motivation? Can you think back and remember, what was your motivation to tackle this wellness diversity? Personal experience. Um, you know, you, so I've, I've been a health educator for goodness, over 20 years. And I went into this work initially looking at health disparities among communities of color, specifically among women, professional women, and recognizing through my graduate work that professional women of color were seeing their providers and they were not getting the feedback from their providers to take care of their health. And they presented with comorbidities, they presented with risk factors, but their providers were not saying, yeah, you know, we need to talk about some weight loss, we need to talk about some exercise. Oftentimes, and in the study I did, they, they indicated that nothing came of those conversations. And um, personal story, we had a family member at 41 who died from a heart attack and a stroke. And at 41, died from a heart attack and a stroke, it should not have happened. And she was 
active in her community. She served and at her funeral, they talked about how she gave of herself and how she was just a selfless servant. And throughout the service, I kept asking myself, did anybody ever stop to ask her how she was doing and what she needed? Or was it enough that she was giving of herself that no one desired to check on her and her well-being? And that stayed with me because I recognized that as long as we were silent about what was happening with us and we showed up as um, the givers that we've been expected to be, all was well in the world. As long as we had a smile on our face and the right outfit on and the makeup was done right, we were fine. Mm -hmm. But who was going to stop and say, really, how are you? And that is when I went into the world of coaching shortly after that and decided that it was important to hone those skills to work with people going forward, particularly professional women who wear a number of hats and are expected to wheel and deal out there and then come home and wheel and deal with family members, caregiving and so forth. And I still see it where we're still asking permission to do for ourselves. And if I can sit in the gap and remind remind us that we can, we should, and, and I support you in doing so, I know that that's my calling because I practice it for myself. And this is why I invite coaching um, to all who seek it. I think it's a valuable resource um, and support system that um, is not tapped enough. Yeah, when you say that, you know, I worked in primary care and I know as a nurse practitioner, I would, I had limited time with my patients, but I would take that time to, you know, educate them when I would review their lab work or, you know, just to educate them as far as their health and wellness. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of offices are their crunch for time. They don't spend that time with the patient. Mm -hmm. And I understand it because I've been there, but then you think, you're doing a disservice to your patient. You're not actually explaining their numbers, you know, things that they can do even naturally to help with it. Because I, I wasn't big on prescribing medications. I would tell them natural things they could do to help with, you know, X, Y, Z. But yeah, that that's something. And then when you said, you know, that personal experience, I was reading about the research you did about the, with the disparities. And I can say personally, when I had my third child, my youngest child, the experience I had during labor and delivery, I could remember things, you know, they wasn't listening to me. Um, they said I was talking out of my head because they had just given me some pain medication. Mm. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is my third child. I should know what's going on with my body. Right. And I would just think back about, you know, today you see a lot of press and people coming out about, you know, the disparities, especially among black women and health organizations. Well, didn't it happen to Serena Williams? And she has more than enough money to command the best care and still yeah. she wasn't listened to. And yeah, yeah that whenever I heard her story, it made me think, I can relate to that because they just did not listen. Now why do we, their... That's a question to ask. Why not listen? Yeah. Why don't they listen? What are your thoughts about that? Our voice has not been valued and recognized as one of authority in certain spaces. And, and it's their own prejudices and biases about who we are, regardless of what we present with. Um, it is 
the assumption that we do not carry the depth and breadth of understanding and weight to what is happening with our own bodies. And it's historical, but the history that's been, you know, studied and, and played out about what's happened to our bodies being commodified, you know, commoditized and, and just, you know, utilized to build systems and make other people money, there is still this undercurrent of not fully validating and valuing our humanity. And in that, our voice gets lost. And in that, we now have to scream a little louder, shout a little more to push the envelope on government levels, um, you know, to, to be able to get the word out that, no, this behavior is not acceptable. Here in New Jersey and in this area, I'm part of an organization called Melanated Moms. And it's an organization that supports moms of color and got its start by its founder, Jay Wilson, who talked about her birthing experiences and the challenges of not being heard um, and the work she does uh, supports doulas you know can you imagine how how life would be better for so many women of color if they had a doula an advocate on their side to have this conversation and and be be that bridge between the provider and them when they're not in the position to talk for themselves the, you know the work of a doula is so invaluable right now especially since we're still seeing these inequities related to black maternal yeah, and um, segue to piggyback on that, I was just thinking, you know, why don't they listen? They also portray us black women as, you know, we're strong. We got that strong personality, like we can handle everything. So of course, if they, well, they're strong, they can handle everything. Mm -hmm. They're not in pain. Cause we're, I noticed, you know, cause I've been a nurse for 25 yeah. years. So I see it, all the different cultures. I try to be cultural competent, you know, as I'm practicing and I see my people, black women, we are a little more stoic when it comes to pain. We don't express it, you know, like others do, but that doesn't mean you should, oh, think that, or just ignore it or don't listen to us mm -hmm. because you feel like, oh, they can handle pain better than this person can handle pain. And well, I think about that. that, like, about that? Saying that we, we, we don't feel pain. We don't, ridiculous studies saying that black people don't feel pain or we feel, we feel pain differently. Isn't that how gynecology got discovered, remember? The whole field of gynecology <laughs> was done because we don't feel pain. So ridiculous foolishness that's still perpetuated in, 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 in the healthcare system. Yeah, that's something. I think about that a lot. I'm like, wow, the fact that they would even have those thoughts. Listen to me, treat me what I'm telling you. This mm -hmm. is how I'm feeling. I know my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've walked away from providers when I felt I wasn't heard and I've told them, I mean, you don't listen. I'm gonna let, make sure whoever I need to tell will know that you don't listen. I will report you. I don't like the way you spoke with me and you will know about that. Um, and they're taken aback by it. I said, oh, you thought we were dealing with somebody who didn't know how the system works. I've, I, I know how, and I'm, I teach other people how wow. to make care too. So I, I get really particular about care um, and when it's not happening correctly. And I look at them and I say, look, I've trained people like you. You're, 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 this isn't novel to me, but what I'm seeing is that you didn't get proper bedside care training. And the people that, that are listening, they should know if you feel like you're not getting that proper treatment, you have the right to step away. You have the right to get that second opinion, mm -hmm. change your physician and, you know, go to someone that's going to treat you 
you know, and hear you and treat like, you appropriately. If somebody's working on your car, you don't like the work they did on your car, you're gonna go someplace else to take care of your car. Your body's even more valuable than your car and you have every right to walk away. The training does not mean that they hold all the power over you. You have that over you. They don't keep all the power. You have a choice. You know, a lot of people, they'll stay with a particular provider because, oh, I've been with them for years. I don't want to change. I'm comfortable. But sometimes you have to step away. You know you're not getting that appropriate treatment. Exactly. <clears throat> so true. So true. And, and we need to get more comfortable with stretching ourselves that way and not settling mm -hmm. for less. You know, we don't settle for less for other things in our life. This is even more important. We shouldn't settle here. Either. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a few of the questions, some questions. How, what is your, um, your methods of when you go into organizations and you train <laughs> them on the wellness <laughs> diversity? What are your techniques? your methods of how you, you know, get the leaders or how you um, train the professional le mm -hmm. women leaders mm -hmm. um, among the, the wellness diversity. First and foremost is the buy-in. Um, and, and, and for some organizations, it's, we know we need this, we're ready. And for some, it's, I've got to talk to my leadership and get the buy-in for this. Or I try to go straight to the leadership. I remember I was uh, working with um, a particular group and someone adjacent to the leader who I needed to speak with said, oh, we did a survey and they said everything was fine among the employees, so we don't have that issue here. And I thought, that's quite funny because I bet you didn't even ask the question on the survey, but you thought because they didn't initiate the answer and give it to you that everything is fine. So mm -hmm. getting that buy-in from leadership is really critical to get any work done and doing a proper assessment, an assessment that enables staff, leaders, people to feel safe in sharing their answers without feeling penalized or, or making it seem like a punitive um, experience that will get back to the leadership and say, well, so-and-so said that they were unhappy with this. You know, we may have to move them along. People should have an opportunity to fear, to share their information freely and safely. And that's the work that we do confidentially. We get to play that neutral space, but we can talk with people and say, you know, what have been your concerns? Everything is de-identified. Nothing will go back to your employer that will trigger who they are. Anything we think might be deemed a trigger of your identity will be fully removed and will be grouped together in a way that keeps you and all of your colleagues safe. The purpose of this is to get down to the heart of what the needs are, what the concerns are. And then from there, what I like to do with the team, we pull together some of the key people at the institution or the organization who would be the most um, senior ringleaders and moving things along. So I like working with a DEI person. I like working with the HR person who's in charge, bringing them together because quite honestly, one can't be without the other in the work that we do. They intersect. Wellness and DEI intersect. If you want to improve the quality of life for your employees, you need to understand the nuances about them from a DEI perspective and connect that with the wellness perspective. So working with them, we work through the game plan. We work through each of the steps of the strategic plan and enlist smaller working groups to come back with key parts that will make up the larger plan. And that will include, you know, reviewing policies and where might new policies be, be um, created as a result of some of the feedback that was given and how might this policy and being created 
um, have a domino effect in other areas and really making sure that it aligns properly so that it's not a negative, but an enhancement. Additionally, making sure that there are key metrics that are identified so that once all of these pieces are put into place, they can be reviewed and assessed for what we like to aim for, of course, is the success. To ensure that the data drives the reason behind the work we do and being able to tie that to uh, revenue, tie that to improved employee morale, um, reduced absenteeism, you know, reduce presenteeism, reduce turnover, that in yeah. itself is a result. And when we're able to match and tie everything together and be able to evaluate with them six months, a year down the road, they can see the value in the work. And it's very hands-on. It takes time and it's work, but the returns are um, multiple in what it will have for the employees, the, the, the leadership and the overall organization. Exactly. That's awesome. Because when you think about me, I'm still considered an employee of an organization. And, you know, I often think about, you know, why don't they listen to us? We're the ones out there, you know, they make the rules, but we're the ones out there. Like me, I'm on the road. Mm -hmm. I go see patients in their homes and we often bring concerns and issues to leadership. And mm -hmm. we feel like, okay, well, how are they tackling these issues? Are they listening to us? Well, I don't see changes, you know, mm -hmm. and then we want to see those changes right away, of course, but. What are their like, priorities is the question. Yeah. And if you understand where their priorities are and we look at those more closely, how do those priorities then drive back to the employees who are doing the work? And they also, as leadership, have to answer to people. So they're walking a fine line of one protecting themselves and trying to keep you guys as employees coming along, you can't get everything you want, but what would work where it might be mutually beneficial and that they can report that as a win. And I think getting into the heads of the leadership and understanding what their bottom line values are will help to determine what they take as feedback and concern and do something with in order for it to truly enhance, enhance the overall organization. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a different perspective to look at it, but um, the leadership has a lot of information that many people don't realize doesn't get trickled down to the employees. And um, they don't always communicate it well either. Um, so you're doing things you're like, I really don't understand why I'm doing this, but um, they said we had to do this and this doesn't make any sense to me. And for me, that's a gap in communication and leadership mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you know everything well and you do it all well. This is why we do the work that we do because, you know, there's a need for people to step into leadership and to be cultivated as leaders. It's not a natural thing to just, I've got this great, you know, VP role and I can do it. You can do the tasks, but there are other pieces to it that you have to learn on the job. And this is where I believe this wellness coaching comes in because it tackles the many aspects of who they are and the work that they do and the people they serve. So what are, once they buy in, what challenges have you seen within organizations? Once you, you get in there, you start the process, what are your, some setbacks you've seen, challenges? Oh goodness, challenges and setbacks. Um, one challenge I saw was a concern about 
pay inequity that came to the surface that um, the organization had to figure out how they were going to handle this because it became a truth that was going to expose them. That was a difficult one because they realized that they were not being as equitable as they should have been in, in past years. So that has to be rectified. Another organization was dealing with um, intergenerational challenges and expectations. Ex um, expectations. So you have um, millennials as part of your staff and you're a Gen Xer or, you know, future generation, an older generation, and you're trying to understand why do you think that this is so important? Pay your dues. And the younger generation is saying, you know, I need a particular quality of life. I need things to work for me in a different way. And the employers are questioning why they think they're entitled to so much. But this is also a different generation of employees who yeah. will jump ship if it doesn't suit their quality of life. And being able to educate both sides on how to interact with each other well is also an interesting angle. Um, it's I, I I find it quite entertaining sometimes to watch all of this play out and to see people. <laughs> so <laughs> I bet. Wow. Yeah, it's like, wow, do you realize that this is happening? Do you see this? And it's so interesting when you're in this particular space and you see it all, and one's doing this group, this group is doing something else, and you're wondering, wow, if they only knew. And that's where we come in. Yeah, I always hear about how a male gets paid more than a female, and I never really thought it was true. Is that really true? These organizations will pay a male more than a female? Yes. I, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it except yeah. Even in the same role, they're in the same role, and yeah. they're getting paid. I just thought I was like, "Ain't no way." Pay equity um, day comes up every year, where we're always talking about women and then women of color, and then you break it down. You know, black women versus you know Latinas and their pay. It's very real. It's very very real. There is still for organizations that if you're a man you must be head of your household you need to make more money and let me let me clarify that white male all right yeah. white male um and i was just at an event yesterday morning that for women you know executive women speaking to the fact that there is a need for a better recognition and appreciation and inclusivity with regard to diversity among the ranks of leadership and in so comes the conversation of pay equity. It's not the same. And I've had people say to me, I saw how much I was making less than my male counterpart who has less education and experience than me. But he, he you know, schmoozes and smiles with people and they like him and I've worked hard and I check all the boxes and extra boxes and I still don't make as much and they want me to teach him X, Y, and Z. That hurts, but it's very real. Yeah, I've heard it's real. I just never really seen evidence on paper. I'm like, do this person really make more than me just because they are a white male and I'm a black female? But I'm a single mother. I'm head of household, you know, when I'm, putting in applications is I'm marking single. There is still, I'm not married. You know, it's like, okay, how do y'all? There is still that perspective and paradigm that only heads of households are white men and their wives are home tending to the family. People still have it, have that leave it to beaver mentality. So you say so you also um, like counsel families. So I don't counsel, I do coaching. Okay. 
I'm not a counselor. Let's just make that clear. Coaching and counseling okay. are different. So I do coaching. So working with diverse families in developing uh, a family wellness strategic plan and coaching. And, and my colleagues and I and my team were working on new models to be able to work with diverse families. A handful of years ago, I wrote a book, uh, Living Beyond the Facade, Inside the Health and Wealth Practices of Americans of African Descent. And um, it was important to write the book and capture the narrative of Americans of African descent with regard to health practices, with regard to wealth practices, because we need to build generational legacy. Um, and when statistics were showing and continue to show that our people are going to be broke by 2053, um, we have some work to do. Uh, we are just learning to be professionals, to have money. We're not two, three, four generations out. You know, and the people I interviewed talked about, some talked about being first generation comfortable and, and, and trying to understand how to navigate this space with family members whom they grew up with are not there. And then children who have this expectation and lifestyle that is not like how they grew up. And being able to say, how are we going to pass the right values down? to our children and our children's children and leave something behind, whether it's financial wellness, whether it's intellectual wellness, um, um, physical wellness, occupational, what are we leaving behind for future generations? And this is where we work through our family wellness strategic plan, basically your legacy document that you revisit on an annual basis to talk about and look at, you know, what do you value? What's important? People do all these vision boards every year. I have a vision for my year. What's your vision for your family? What's your vision for the future? And when you move on and transition, what are you leaving behind? You know, people always talk about black people leave behind debt. And, and it's, it's it, that's a narrative that has to stop. We need to be more forward thinking and plan a proper legacy that goes beyond, you know, uh, you know, what we've been used to before in terms of barely anything and not just not, not just saying financial, but really, really capturing what's necessary for our future generations to build off of. You know, we have Rockefellers who know their family history and we know our genealogy, but what are the values across these wellness dimensions that we must uphold to carry the torch forward? What did we do that we need to now take it to the next and future generations? Yeah, generational wealth. <clears throat> That's something that our culture lacks on, generational wealth. And then we have this scarcity mindset. It's yeah. like, okay, I know growing up, it was like, okay, well, we have just enough to get by. Mm -hmm. And then it, it grows with you, but then it's like, you got to change that mindset. Yeah. And stop. another thing I go through is that imposter syndrome. It's like, okay, yes, I have this and that. I got this education. Mm -hmm. Why should I have to feel I have to dummy myself down in front of people that may not have what I have? It's just the, the mindsets of our people, our culture. And we just have to, I know I'm telling myself, I got to grow out of that. And it's not being arrogant. It's just, we got to change our mindset. It has to be an intentional change, an intentional process day to day, where we catch ourselves saying, wait, you know, I'm thinking in terms of scarcity and lack. Um, how can I look at this 
from a place of, of growth, prosperity, and 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 positive legacy. You know, where we yeah. were taught to stretch that dollar, stretch it as far. Dollars were never made of rubber. They were never stretched. <laughs> the question is, how can you multiply versus trying to stretch the one dollar, which will never ever stretch? Talk to me about multiplicity. Talk to me about growth versus you can't keep a dollar and spend it at the same time. It'll never work. But I could probably make that one dollar into a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand, a million. Talk with me about that. How do we think a new mindset? And it's a lot of active, repetitive work on a daily basis. Whatever mantra backed by small actions that build into a little bit bigger actions where you test out these ideas and put them into practice is how we begin to change these behaviors and these thought patterns. Um, but little by little to build our confidence on that journey. Yeah, I was just, when you said that multiply, you know, even God says we need to be fruitful and multiply. And multiply. Now I'm not just talking about having babies. We can, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> be fruitful and multiply. Uh, so do you have any encouraging thoughts for anyone that's listening? All generations, all cultures, ethnicities, yeah. genders out there listening. Be intentional on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, this gift of life we have is not one that we can squander. Um, we can't do everything perfectly every day and that was never the intention. But for every day you get up, you get up with your gratitude. You get up with your intentions and your goals for the day. At the end of every day, recap, what were my highlights? What am I grateful for? And what do I look forward to do, God willing, tomorrow to move the needle forward <clears throat> and being intentional about life and not just moving through life unconscious, half asleep, waiting for life to happen to you. We are accountable for the life that we have, and we need to be able to give account as to how we use this time that we've been given. And I encourage folks to look at life from these eight dimensions, emotional wellness, financial wellness, social wellness, spiritual wellness, occupational wellness, physical wellness, intellectual wellness, and environmental wellness. I believe that if we take each day to build, we can always find something to do to move ourselves forward, but we just have to do it and be, be committed to and loving of ourselves, our social support system, our lives to do the work that needs to be done because we're, we have to be accountable for what we have here. That's good. Yeah, my word for 2023 was intentional. That's right. I, I'm gonna be intentional. Um, if no one comes with me, <laughs> no one follows me or support me i have to be intentional for myself mm -hmm. i have to motivate myself encourage myself sometimes we just have to encourage ourselves mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we do but in that find where look for iron that sharpens iron look for people who can really bolster you because those days alone can be tough and there's mm -hmm. great value in having a community and a support system. And that's why I've enjoyed the mastermind groups that I run because people are looking for support. They have they have people in their lives and 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 you know, they have a good time, hang out people, but are they really evolving yeah. you and are you evolving them? 
And if you can't go far together, then what do you do? Yeah. Sometimes you got to look at your circle. Reevaluate. Some cleaning up, reevaluating it. Okay. It's time to change my circle a little bit. Some people have to be taken away, may add some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how can people get in contact with you? Oh, sure. So my website is stronger-tomorrow.com. My email is christine at stronger-tomorrow.com. I am um, continuing to do these mastermind groups for uh, ideally for professional women. And I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching for folks who really want to be intentional. I work with people who want to do the work and I'm an ally. I come alongside, I'm an advocate, I'm, I'm, I'm someone who holds you accountable, but lovingly so, because I can see with you what you want and being able to help guide you to get there. So uh, stronger-tomorrow.com, Christine at stronger-tomorrow.com. Okay. Do you do, because um, you're in Jersey, do you do like virtual I coaching? I do virtual coaching. I meet you where you're at. You could be in Hawaii. We work out the time zone. But yes, I do virtual coaching. Awesome. That's good. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all your inspiration, expertise on this wellness diversity. And hopefully we'll speak again. It's been a pleasure, Dr. Amy. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you.